Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week on the Mike Wise Show, we're joined by the Chief. Not Chief Wahoo, the former offensive mascot of the Cleveland Indians, and not Will Sampson. I'll explain who he is in a minute. Coming up next, the Chief. Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene. This week's guest is a wise guy and a wise man. There have been some memorable basketball people with the nickname The Chief. Everyone remembers the late Will Sampson, who played Chief Bromden in the Jack Nicholson classic One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, while Jack Nicholson helped that Chief on his low post game. Jack most definitely rooted against the other great Chief Hall of Famer, Robert Parrish of the Boston Celtics, who actually got his because of Chief Bromden. Today's guest is also a famous basketball person nicknamed the Chief. That would be legendary radio producer John Martin. Welcome, John. Michael, thank you. I, I don't know how to respond to that uh, over-the-top introduction, but thank you very much. Yeah. Well, since I'm one of these guys that hates native mascots in sports, in fact, I'm rooting against Kansas City in the Super Bowl just because of the chop. Um, I I can't stand the name. But nonetheless, I want to know how you got it. <laughs> oh, God. I, I got it way back when I was working at uh, Sports Phone in New York. And uh, I just – I actually had a friend who – um, used to when he forgot people's names, used to just say, "Hey, chief, how are you, chief?" <laughs> and and I picked up on that a little bit, and I and I ended up getting tagged with it, and yeah. that was the start of it. Uh, and it'd be like someone saying, "Like, hey, sport," or "Hey, wh- right. what's going? On? What's going on?" Exactly, Ace? exactly. You know, and then it just becomes your name in a weird uh, way. And then it just it stuck, and I, I I knew it was here to stay when George Bodenheimer, the CEO of ESPN. <laughs> came up to me at, a, at an event one time and said, Chief, how are you doing? And I, <laughs> I nearly fell over, and I said, well, okay, I guess. <laughs> if, if, the the big boss, if the big boss knows me as that, okay, I guess we're good. <laughs> uh, people who don't know out there, in the, in the little media world that is the NBA scene, uh, John Martin is a legend, and I don't say that lightly. He's produced over 4,000 shows for ESPN Radio, um, uh, he's worked with Jack Ramsey, Hubie Brown. Uh, give me some of the others that you've really enjoyed over the years, John. Well, there's a litany of them. Um, on the analyst side, Kevin Lockery. Oh yeah. Uh, oh. You know, uh, we we had you know Will Perdue with us, uh, John Barry, whom I worked with uh, the other night, PJ Carlesimo, who I, I know more than 40 years. He was a senior at Fordham University playing on the varsity basketball team, which was coached by Digger Phelps. The oh. one year he was at Fordham, uh, which uh, propelled him to the Notre Dame job following that one season. And I was a freshman on the freshman team. So that's where PJ and I first crossed paths. Uh, and uh, on the play-by-play side, the, the late, great uh, Hall of Famer Jim, uh, Jim Durham. Yeah, uh, Jim, Jim, you know, I felt like I got to know Jim a little bit. And then he 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 had a cardiac episode, didn't he? Yes. Well, he he had had he had had bypass surgery uh, yeah. about a dozen years before, but ultimately it was uh, um, you know a, a heart attack. Uh, Great that, guy. That fabu- fabulous guy. Yeah. Uh, and um, when you know, I was honored to be one of his eulogists uh, at his funeral. And I had read an article uh, uh, from the local Chicago paper the day or two before who was talking about the great NBA play-by-play guys and mentioned Chick Hearn and uh, Johnny Most and, and Marv and I think Al McCoy. And uh, I, I can't remember the five, 
but he had Jim Durham there, and uh, he said Jim Durham was probably you know the the, the least known, but you know ranked right there. And in my eulogy, I said I would you know offer up that uh, Jim would be the point guard of that starting five of of great play-by-play guys because he was so masterful at uh, not only calling the action but teeing up his analysts and taking his analysts where the analysts needed to go as the game unfolded. Uh, Jim was just great, great, great. And and he had a a few catchphrases that he never, like, tried to bury you with them, but they were always so germane to what was going on in the game and uh, I was working the other night with Mark Kestisher when Milwaukee was dropping 12 of 15 from the three-point line in the first half, and Boston was started to heat up as well. And I got in the talk back to Kesty at one point, and I, and I said, the late great J- J.D. would have said at this point, a three-for-all has broken out at five-star <laughs> forum. And Kesty <laughs> smiled, and I said, you should use that and credit J.D., and he did on air. Oh, that's uh, nice. Which, yes, which was good. And, and again, uh, J.D., you know, another one of his great calls would be cold-blooded three, which he used often when we were doing Pacer games with Reggie Miller down oh. the stretch. Uh, and, and, again, uh, those calls, they weren't, like, manufactured. He didn't try and, like, force it into a game. He only, you know, used those things if they were germane to the moment. And... uh you know, and he was always really right on, right on point, right on point. Uh, so those are Kevin Calabro too, and and now Mark Kestisher, who, who I think has risen to be one of one of the you know great play-by-play guys on on radio, uh, calling NBA. So those are some of them. ESPN was not your first job, but you started there in the early '90s. Uh, do, do you even remember your first NBA Finals with the network? Oh, sure, because uh, when we acquired the rights, it coincided with the beginning of the second Jordan three-peat. So uh, it was uh, Chicago. 1996. 96, Chicago and, and the, and the uh, Sonics. Sonics. Uh, and, you know, we went out to uh, uh, Seattle with the Bulls up uh, three games to none. Oh, it was and, tremendous. And, and, they, and, and every, everybody thought it was over. Everyone, and... everyone thought it was over. Yeah, and they and they and they eked out the last two home games, which gave us most riders anyway a week in Seattle, which we loved at that time. <laughs> I think it was before Jeff Bezos and Amazon took it over. Uh, prob- yes, probably. And uh, it was just a nice town, and and we loved it. We went to Bainbridge Island and biked, and then we watched the Bulls win Game Six when Steve Kerr hit some jumper in the corner or something. Yeah. And, and an, inter- an interesting, like one of those behind-the-scenes notes. Yeah. As the Sonics make the, make this three-two, and now we have to go back to Chicago, and we were uh, many of us taking red eyes back to Chicago, and I said, just let me call the hotel and double check and confirm our rooms and that we're coming in early, and it was uh, I, I want to say it was a, it was a Friday night, yes. Because when I called and I asked, I said, I just want to confirm these reservations. And after about two or three minutes, the person said, uh, let me connect you to the sales office. And I said, why is somebody in the sales office at uh, 11 o'clock at night back in Chicago? Which was my first <laughs> clue that they had given our rooms away. Oh, no. Because they figured series is over. They're not coming back here. But not only did they uh, give our rooms away, they gave away 70 NBA rooms, <laughs> which oh, uh, I'm not going to mention the, the chain, but the NBA did not uh, do business with that chain for a number of years after that as punishment for you know, what, they, what they did. It was Marriott. Uh, I'm not saying. I'm not okay. saying who it was. That was we ended up having to stay out at the airport, and I don't say that as like, oh my God, we had to stay at the airport, but we had to scramble a bit to 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 get rooms, and of course the Bulls won in hmm. six, and um, and we had uh, you know we we were the Bulls radio network pretty much for those uh, national radio network for those three seasons because uh, NBC, which was the the TV rights holder at the time, they hmm. had a Michael game on every Sunday, and we were usually there too because they were the the best matchups. Uh, and there were some fabulous games, and 
you know, watching Michael and, and Scotty and, and, and that, that, that team up close for uh, three seasons was, it was quite a thrill and a treat uh, all rolled into one. Yeah, no, I, I remember it vividly just being at the New York Times at the time and just thinking, wow, this my career's taken a real, a, a, a real ascension here because this is the highest level of games I'm ever going to see and one of the greatest athletes of all time. I, one of the things you talked about George Bodenheimer knowing your, knowing your nickname and, and what that meant. You know, I guess there's some guys who I kind of got giddy at that knew my name or something because I did a story on them and they remembered me. Maybe Larry Bird. I mean, when he was at the Hall of Fame and he got off the podium and I said, hey, that was great. And he goes, oh, thanks for coming, Mike. And I, was, I just, I mean, I did everything but like, you know, I'm not worthy. Got down on my knees. I felt this way a little bit about Dr. Jack where he would say my name. And he goes, Michael, how are you? And, and it was just like. And he and and he remembered, or he said, I said he remembered something I wrote, or he and he and he, had, he would ask me questions, and I'm going, oh, you're Dr. Jack Ramsey, I should be asking you questions. He was probably the most humble, thoughtful, really smart guy I've ever met in my life. Your first impressions of him, the reverence players always held for him, even well into his 80s. His chemistry with Jim, I mean, things, stories from the road that really you remember about uh, Dr. Jack. Well, I, I can tell you right from the beginning when we were starting out that uh, th there was a question, okay, who is our broadcast team going to be? And finally, from above my pay grade at ESPN, said, okay, the analyst is going to be Jack Ramsey. Now, way back years before when Jack was still coaching, I would have occasion to be at Madison Square Garden, and if the Trailbla Trailblazers were in or later the, the Pacers, uh, I'd have some interaction with Jack post game. Uh, and I always, you know, thought him, I said, wow, very thoughtful, very introspective. Doesn't really give you a, a whole heck of a lot <laughs> to put on tape, but obviously just watching his teams play, he said, this is you know, fabulous. Uh, so, but when they said Jack, and, and again, I wasn't like in, in co you know, involved with the NBA on, on a daily basis. And I was a little concerned that, well, does he really relate to the young players? I mean, is he is he really known? And the first game we did was actually a practice game. It was the Sonics playing the Spurs um, in San Antonio. And we were just doing this, what, they, what you might call closed circuit, so that it was airing back in uh, ESPN in Bristol and nowhere else. Jim Durham came in. Jim was going to, the first time I'd met Jim, right, be a couple hours before the game. Jim was going to do the play-by-play, -play and Jack. Uh, so, so Jack and I went to shoot around that morning, and uh, you know we asked the Spurs, can, can we talk to Coach, uh, and can we talk to uh, you know a player? And they said, okay, fine. So Bob Hill was the coach then. So we go into Bob Hill's coach uh, office after the, the, the shoot around, and we, we do a little couple of two or three minutes on tape. And then Jack asks Bob some questions, like off-the-record stuff. And he pauses and says, have you ever thought about playing the Admiral and Will Perdue together? <laughs> and, and Bob Hill says, well, you can't do that, Jack. And he says, oh, I think you can. And he says, oh, no, Jack, no, you, you, it, can't, it, it, it wouldn't work. So with that, Jack jumps up, goes over to the whiteboard, and, and starts sketching out you know, how he'd position the Admiral and Will, and, and, and the next thing you know, now Hill is up, and, and Hill's there, and he's looking, and he's asking questions. Tom James, a longtime PR director of the, the Spurs, pokes his head in the door because he's got Sean Elliott, who stayed after shoot-around because it's Jack, and, and he'll talk to us. And Tom has given me the high sign, like, Sean's out here, and I'm like, wow, these, what do you want me to do? These guys are, like, I have my hands up. What do you want me to do? These guys are here. I, I, so finally we finish, okay, and we go talk to Sean Fine. So uh, we get to the arena that night for the game. I mentioned to J.D. before the game. I said, by the way, in case this happens, I said, Jack and Bob Hill got into this discussion about the Admiral and Will playing together at the same time, and, and Bob Hill was like, no way you could do it, and Jack was showing, diagramming how he thought he could. So let's see what happens. So lo and behold, start of the second quarter, who walks out of the huddle together but the Admiral and Will Perdue? <laughs> I and love the, it. And the Spurs immediately go on a 12-0 run. 
and, and and Bob and Bob Hill did not give one cent of his royalties to right. Dr. Jack. And, and George Carl calls timeout, and and JD said, and Dr. Jack, uh, this was a configuration that you actually suggested this morning to Bob Hill, and Jack, as would you know, his nature was like. <laughs> Well, Jim, I just thought that there was a possibility that, you know, it could give them another option. Never said, yeah, you know, you're damn right I did, because I didn't right, understand right. why he wasn't smart enough to do this. Yeah, so, this, is why Bob, this is why Bob Hill was not the coach during their so, championship. So, run. you know, that was, okay, so the, the and my light goes on. All right, so there's a lot of respect with the coaches. So then the following month, which is January, and we're doing our first actual broadcast, and it's a rematch of the previous spring finals, it's Orlando at Houston. And we get to the floor, and some of the Magic are out shooting, and Nick Anderson is among them. And Jack is walking to the table, and Nick comes over and says, Dr. Jack, Dr. Jack. Yes, Nick, how are you? How's good to see you. How are things? Can, <laughs> can you help me, please? Oh, oh, what do you need? I'm, I, I, I'm just having such a time trying to, you know, when Clyde Drexler when they run the, the high screen and roll, I'm just having the, the, you know, the hardest time trying to defend this. And So here's Jack at 70, I want to say he was 72 or whatever then. Jack puts his notebook oh, this is great. and his bag down and gets out on the floor with him and, and immediately takes a defensive stance. And he's like, tell Nick, you know, you be quiet. And, and Jack sticks his forearm into <laughs> Nick's midsection and says, now you want to be up on him. And you want to keep contact, but like you know, feel for the screener, and and oh. he goes through about five minutes of this. And I, I was standing to the side, and I said, "You arrogant son of a gun! You actually thought that there was a question about whether this man would relate to the current players?" And oh, and that was the beginning of years long, actually eighteen, of of me watching Jack, uh, the the reverence, mm. and and how often. Uh, he was sought out for, you know, co some you know, little coaching guidance or, you know, Dr. Jack, did you see something? Yeah. Or, um, you know, and, and there were some, f some funny moments, too, uh, too, that involved Charles Barkley because, I mean, players would uh, – nobody said no to Dr. Jack. Right. You know, and uh, we went into Houston – uh, to do a, to a game, and we were there the day before at practice, and we had requested Charles, and it was a, a new PR director with the Rockets, and uh, we were told uh, Charles said no. And, wow, Charles said no? That's, wow. Okay, so now we're there, and, and the Rockets are walking, you know, out of the court, and Charles said, Dr. Jack, Dr. Jack, how you doing, Dr. Jack? You, you, you're going to talk to me? You want to talk to me? And Jack says, Charles, I was told you didn't want to or you wouldn't. Who told you that? <laughs> and, and Jack turned to me and said, Martin, who told us that? And I oh. said, uh, um, and I mentioned who. And, and Charles got this look on his face, stalked off. And, and then we heard some screaming <laughs> at said PR person about, you know, that man ever asked you for anything? Your answer is yes. You understand? Oh, that's great. Uh, so that was, that was yeah. one. And then a year or two later, I forget the timeline, but Steve Francis was with the Rockets and we were supposed to talk to him, uh, game day, morning, morning, a game, like an hour and a half or so before the game, it's supposed to be all set up. We go in the locker room, go up to Steve and Jack and Steve blows us off. And he's not too, shall we say, conciliatory or pleasant doing it. So we said, okay, and we walked out, and we're at our broadcast position, and within a short period of time, here comes Charles, and he's got Steve Francis in tow, and it was almost like he had him by the ear. Oh, man. <laughs> and walked over and said, Dr. Jack, this young man has something to say to you, <laughs> and, oh. and, and, and Steve Francis apologized. And, oh, uh, that's, that's and, cool. And, and said, would, would you like to do this now? And Jack's Martin, do we want to do this now? And I said, uh, uh, Jack, yeah, we need about five minutes. And Charles then turned to Steve Francis and said, pretty much a similar message to the PR guy a few years before, but with this addendum that says, this man ever asked you for anything? Your answer is yes. 
And if I ever hear anything different, this size 16 is going all the way up, and you can, you know, finish out. Uh, this is a this is a podcast, John. Right. You can swear on it. That's fine. Uh, uh, well, we'll go up your ass. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, oh, so uh, that was, um, you know, that that was that was the uh, the essence of Jack, and and you know, with the with fans too, it, it was always interesting to me and gratifying to be walking into it or around an arena and to see a father with a young son kind of grab his son and point at Jack and, yeah, that, and give, him, give him a little nutshell of you know, you, you, this guy right here, you know who he is. Uh, and, you know, the ladies loved him too. The ladies, so the ladies would squeal, like, Dr. Jack, Dr. Jack. And, uh, I remember and, when uh... – Go ahead. I cut you off. No, I, I was. Sure. I would just say, as you were saying before, he was. He was uh, revered, well, he was, and oh. uh, you know the the length and breadth of his knowledge uh, was, um, I'd say, almost unmatched. Because Hubie, yeah. who I've also had the great pleasure to work with, and and the two of them, for a couple of years, worked a finals together. We had a three-person booth. Yeah. Which was uh, which was Mike Tirico. Oh. I could, listen, I could listen to the tape. To, I could listen to those on tape right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean those, but um, I was going to tell you that one of the great moments of, uh, well, I always, I always love going to the finals because now, because they do the coaches award thing and Rick Carlisle gets up there and Hubie got it uh, several years ago in Miami. I, I think you probably remember. And Hubie spent his entire I, the entire time he's being honored, he spoke about Jack Ramsey. Mm. It was it was just there was the humility, the love for him, the affection, and you could see Chris Ramsey, of course, Jack's son who works for ESPN and, and ESPN.com. He was almost tearing up, and it was just such a nice moment. And I thought to myself, Wow, these guys, man, they're. Not... I mean, I remember Jeannie Buss on the program uh, less than a year ago, and I remember her telling me once that. You know, everybody thinks that Pat Riley was loved by the ladies. Yeah, some people love them, but he was a dude magnet. Men wanted to be him. That's the same as Jack Ramsey. Men <laughs> wanted to be Jack Ramsey. You know, he's a dude yeah. magnet. You know, and so, uh, I, and Hubie, I mean, I'm, gosh, I, I, the times you, uh, Mitch Lawrence, whom, whom we both know, former New York Daily News NBA writer, now does some serious with Frank Isola. He does a great Hubie, by the way. Can you do a Hubie, John Martin? Can you do a Hubie in the well, pink area? Anything? Well, Come Mike, on. we know <laughs> that if you're running the break and you space it correctly, it's almost indefensible. <laughs> what happens? Uh, okay, we understand now. Okay, like we know this, that when you when you compact, if you do not space it properly, you make it easy to defend. And it's a lost art, really, in, in, in the league at this point in, in time, okay? All right? Okay? <laughs> Off the top of my head, that's the best I can, I can that's give you. Very that's very good. No, I, 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 I almost want him to – I mean, if he, was, if he was on a unplugged cable network, it would be like, if you are not guarding Shaquille O'Neal in the painted area, you are fucked. <laughs> I mean, he just – he was over the top. Well, and, I, uh, I, can, I can tell you a story, that, and, and – uh, the first time I ever had any interaction with Hubie, I was a teenager at Five Star Basketball Camp, 1968. Oh, okay. And Hubie is one of the guest lecturers. Now, among the coaches who were there during the week doing stations, Chuck Daly, who was an assistant at Duke at the time, Hubie, who was an assistant at Duke at the time, um, were the two that you know like stood out. So Hubie... Uh, and the, the, the fast break thing sticks out because in the in the gym at this camp, Hubie did a whole seminar on running the fast break and defending the fast break. So this is my first experience with this guy, who at the time is 35 years old, I think, and uh, just a, <laughs> a dynamo with with energy. And and he's talking about you know when you're on the wing and you you know when you hit you know, the, the, the hash mark, I don't even know if there were hash marks then, but when you hit the foul line extended, you then cut sharply to the low block. And when you do, 
and the, it is impossible for the defender to, if, you, if you're running like three on two, three on two or three on. Is it possible for the defender to defend both wings? So, and if you're hit with the pass, you're in perfect position, like for the angle for the layup. So, and he demonstrates this. And there was a a, a real wise guy uh, in the crowd who got raised his hand and he said yes. And he said, yeah, coach, that may be all well and good, but if you have an All-American like Mel Davis, and Mel Davis was a high school All-American from Boys High School who was at camp, mm-hmm. Mel Davis will block that shot every time. And Yubi said, okay, all right. Mel, come on up here. <laughs> and 6'6", 225-pound Mel Davis got up and eyeballed the wise guy who would said Mel was going to block the shot and, like, I'll find you later. And Yubi brought him out on the floor, and he said, okay, um, all right, Mel, I'm going to get the ball every time. They, they told him right out. So, of course, the first time Yubi gets the ball, he then – Mel comes out to, and he bounces, passes it to the other wing, cut into the basket, and and you know, long story endless, they scored every time, and and he'll be turned around to the kid. He says, "So you can see that even with an, a pre- <laughs> tremendous athlete like Mel Davis, that uh, maybe he said maybe the great Russell, he said would get some, but not all." Said, "Okay, so." so that was, that was my first experience. The first time I really had a chance to. And you were, how Yubi. old were you then? I was sixteen. Oh, that's yeah, true. About that's six, great. Six, Fifteen, sixteen. So he was, he was like a all hotel lounge first teamer for about thirty years in a row. I've never seen a guy who worked the bar like him. Yubi. I mean, he had yeah, yeah. Yubi. he was unbelievable. Yeah, he's uh, like Jack. He's he's an extraordinary, extraordinary individual. Yeah, and, and a font of of, of basketball knowledge. Uh, and yeah, if he would be in the if he'd be in the lounge, someone would come up to him and he would talk to them. It didn't matter who you were, if as long as you showed some kind of respect and weren't over the top. Right. Correct. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, yeah. Was, it was incredible. Um, he uh, Shane Battier used to physically hug and kiss Hubie when he was on the Miami Heat at the NBA Finals. The uh, Pow, Pow, Mark, the Gasol brothers. Wow. Uh, almost almost everybody who Hubie has coached or, or had some relationship with in the past, when they come up to him, uh, that's pretty much the, the standard. Yeah. There's a kiss, there's a hug, uh, and there's, I mean, there is great respect, enormous respect there from, mm. from guys who've, who've, you know, under his tutelage, been under his wing. The I'm trying to think what preparation. Everybody thinks it's just a guy that shows up and starts talking. Hubie Brown prepares at, at this age. Hubie's uh, when we were, when we were doing the finals. Hubie, we, we'd have a production meeting uh, every morning of game day, because the fi- our finals production is a, a, a more expansive than just a regular season game. Uh, and we bring our studio show on site, so there's a lot of interaction with our studio show, and John Barry would, would go over to the studio side, or, or in the past, going back to the beginning when it was, when it was Jack Ramsey uh, you know, doing the game with Jim Durham, Kevin Lockery, who would do games over the course of the season, but when we got to finals, I'd have Kevin on the studio side, and, and Kevin was another, you know, just another great basketball mind, and, and a guy... Um, and I want to digress a bit here. I can't say enough about, uh, like, the respect Michael Jordan has for Kevin. You know, Kevin was Michael's first coach. That's right, had, with, with the with Bulls. The, with the Bulls. And uh, when we would go out to do games, Michael especially, but uh, Don Donnie Walsh, when he was in Indiana, we'd go in there. Donnie said, Kevin, come on in the office or come on sit here. Like, what do you see? What do you know? Because they they all knew that Kevin watched you know the the NBA uh, uh, feed the the games uh, religiously like like he knew a lot of rotations and uh, and and coaching moves better than a lot of the coaches themselves who were still coaching in the league just from watching these games Jerry West the same thing we'd go out to do a Laker game Jerry West said Kevin come on in the office let me I want to talk to you tell me. So there was enormous amount of respect there. So Kevin was another, another person that uh, 
I was very fortunate to be around. And, and Kevin, um, you know, I, I think over the years, because he doesn't have a record that's like of Hall of Fame caliber or above 500, well, you know, he had a lot of lousy teams too after, uh, you know, Roy Bow sold uh, Julius Irving to the, the uh, you know, Philadelphia 76ers. But Kevin was an extraordinary game coach and adjustments that he would make in-game. And as we were doing games, the stuff that he would pick up on as the game unfolded and, and, and just see ahead what moves should be made or, 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 or predict were going to be made by coaches, or et cetera, et cetera, was always like right on target, right on target. He, he, was, uh, he was fabulous. Um, but I, 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 I'm still blown away by the reverence, how sharp he is for how old he is. Um, and, and you keep getting pair, you keep the guys you work with, um, the, the, a lot of them are cut from the same mold, old school guys, PJ Carlissimo, right. You did games together. You did the NBA draft together. You've had full course meals in the wee hours of the morning on the road with him. What's your best PJ story? That you can and, and well, that remember I, that I could tell. <laughs> remember, this is remember. It's not Howard Stern, but it's very yeah. close, yeah. John. This is very close. You can get away with a lot. Oh man! Uh, well, I, I mean, uh, off the floor, uh, you know, PJ is, uh, you know, like he's like the uh, NBA um, CEO of Open Table. <laughs> or the or Zagat uh, dining review, right. uh, because there is not a city I think uh, in the United States NBA city, or maybe in in Europe and around the world for that matter, that he doesn't have a couple of places that he will call as the game is winding down. Hey PJ, how are you doing? Okay, fine. Hey, there's uh, six of us. I know we're going to get there after eleven o'clock, but can you take us? Yeah, okay, great. Thanks. Goodbye. All right, we're going. <laughs> and uh, and they you know, stay open till like one o'clock or so and, and we've been out later uh than that. Um but um, you know, a PJ is uh, another guy that uh uh again I don't think I mean I, I think his professional coaching career has been been overshadowed or just you know it, it hung with the the whole Latrell oh, yeah, Freewell, yeah, yeah. Freewell yeah. incident. We had a great yeah. podcast where he just went into you know I, that's you know they're always going to think about that but yeah I, you know and what killed me about it all was that like he talked about meeting up with Spree later and sort of I go did you ever and he goes no we talked now I'll see I see him where you know during the Minnesota years when he's right. playing there he goes. Tony goes, I go, did you ever have a, and he goes, no, he never, not only did he not only apologize, we never even had a conversation. I'm like, well, what a weird, what a weird guy Spreewell was. Um, yeah. In, in hindsight, but, having covered him for the Knicks, I look back and I go, well, okay, he had some good years, but what a, you know, the guy was just about Spree. That was it. P PJ, when uh, Jack um, stopped, you know, sadly working for us about a year before he passed away. Uh, and we, we always did this uh, meet the all-star show that we taped Thursday, Friday of NBA all-star weekend. And again, we put in requests for, we put in a blanket request for all the all-stars to stop and talk to us. And a goodly number of them did the ones that didn't usually had, uh, you know, just so many other commitments that they couldn't, or they they try and pop in for three minutes and just like hi Dr. Jack or whatever. So and it was one of those things where you always say, well Jack isn't going to be doing this forever, and who is going to come in and and be in that place? Uh, so it ended up being PJ. And again, you know what you learned was, okay, uh, this guy's had that three coaching or four coaching stops in the league, and also was an assistant on the dream team in, 1990, right. in 1992. So there was that same level of respect and, and, uh, you know, almost love players had come in like, or, or they just pop in out of the hall. Even if we didn't some, somebody like we didn't ask for, 
that was there. Maybe they were in the three-point shoot or the dunk or something else. I'm like, yo, Peach, hey, you know, hugs and what's going on. And, and you know, there was so much BS that would go on. I'd have to say, Peach, we only got like 10 minutes with this guy, and you've just used five shooting the crap here. So can we can we sit down and get some stuff on tape here, please? Uh, you know, and, and an, another guy, uh, when, when, you know, We'd sit and, you know, he would talk about strategy and what he'd expect out of, you know, each side in a, in a, in a game. He'd say, boy, this is another guy that just knows his stuff mm-hmm. uh, and doesn't get that recognition because people just look at the record or, or again, you know, the, the Spreewell incident, and, and that's all that they look at. You know, there's, um, there's no real understanding, which part of which I can understand. I mean, part yeah. of it I, I do understand, but – when you're fortunate enough to be on the inside a bit and you see, said, boy, this guy, you know, really knows his stuff. Yeah. Really knows his stuff. Um, I have to, Bruce Bernstein, you know, my producer who you've known for many years, he's, he, he did some pre, he did some pre-interview work for this. And if I don't ask you this, I'll feel bad. You got, before you got to ESPN radio, you were working with future ESPN legend, Charlie Steiner. Yes. Yes. What did you guys do together? Any great stories about Charlie? Well, did, you, yeah. did you ever have a, a, a meal in New Orleans with Charlie and his then girlfriend, <laughs> who happened to be a United States senator at the time? Oh, oh, Brucey, Brucey. Uh, yes, this is well, good. Uh, first, uh, a little background. Charlie and I first met uh, spring training, 1979, St. Petersburg, Florida, which was then the spring training home shared by the uh, New York Mets and St. Louis Cardinals. And about a year, Charlie uh, was the sports guy sidekick on uh, 99X Morning Drive Radio in New York with the late, great Jay Thomas. And so that's how I met Charlie. Uh, About a year or two later, uh, RKO had revived, or General Tire, I should say, had revived the RKO radio networks. And they hired Charlie as sports director, and he was looking for a, a producer and I end up getting the gig. So now I'm, I'm working with Charlie. Um, and Charlie was also very astute. He went out and hired this guy who had just, uh, in the last year or two, retired as a head coach in the NFL, a guy named John Madden. And he hired, he hired John to do a five-day-a-week commentary, two minutes every afternoon, Monday through Friday, something which John himself wrote on, on long yellow legal pads himself and then you know, would record them, and we ended up putting a line in his house in uh, the Bay Area and one in his uh, uh, apartment in New York. And sometimes he would come down, when he was in New York, come down to the station and and record them. And, and he'd come down as much to record them as much to, you know, to shoot the, shoot the shit, chew the fat. So, uh, and John was also my entree to, I worked for a couple of years on the NFL Today when Brent Musburger was there and Brent later was one of my play-by-play guys on ESPN radio. So there's, you know, uh, six degrees of uh, separation, but Charlie, uh, when, um, he, he was up at ESPN first and then ESPN radio was starting and I was hired. And about two years after we got the NBA rights, we acquired the major league baseball rights. And Charlie was our Sunday night baseball play-by-play voice. Um, and he did that for a few years. Uh, and then he also was doing college football on ESPN television and would do occasional bowl games with us on radio. So right, I guess, as Charlie was leaving ESPN and he was going to uh, next do a couple of years uh, alongside John Sterling in the Yankees radio booth. And I asked Charlie, I said, uh, hey, I have an opening for the Sugar Bowl. Would you be interested? And he was like, yeah, OK, yeah, I'll do that. Um, um, I'm going to going to bring my lady. I'm like, okay, fine. So we're in New Orleans, <laughs> the day of game, and he calls me and he says, uh, I'd like to go to lunch? And I said, sure. He says, okay, we're going to go to Brennan's. And I said, all right, fine. I'll meet this in the French Quarter. I'll meet you. So I meet, the, I meet he and his girlfriend at Brennan's, and his girlfriend is the junior senator from the state of Washington, uh, Maria Cantwell. And I had an immediate question i said i said you know senator and he's like you know call me maria sure maria uh you obviously have a lot on the ball i said so i have two questions 
I said, what are you doing with him? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and why do you feel compelled that you should be with him? And she laughed. So Charlie goes up to the uh, hostess stand and, you know, says his name. And the uh, young lady says, oh, yes, okay, Mr. Steiner. And she takes three menus and turns to her partner. Maria, like, Maria Cantwell's big time. U.S. Big Senator time. Oh, from yeah. Washington. Yeah, but she was new, almost newly elected then. It was her first okay. term, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. This, is, I'm, I'm going, this is like 2001, 2002. Yeah. So uh, this the assistant is about to take us upstairs to Siberia at Brennan's and Charlie is about to protest when a gentleman steps out from wherever he'd been and steps forward and says, Charlie, Charles Brennan, welcome to Brennan's. Very nice to meet you. And turns back to the hostess and says, uh, take them to the Poseidon room, which I guess was, you know, the, the A-listers or into the Poseidon room. So into the Poseidon room we go. We have a fabulous lunch, and the you know, waiter comes back towards the end and said, uh, you know, dessert, and we're all kind of demurring, and uh, said, Mr. Foster insists that you would try, you know, have the Bananas Foster. It's our signature. So I'm like, well, I never had Bananas Foster, so sure, I'll, I'll do this. And they prepare, prepare a table side, and, you know, with the flame and the cognac, it's very impressive. And so now that caps off the meal, and... Maria says to Charlie, he said, all right, let's get the check. Let's go. So Charlie calls the waiter over and says, I'll take the check. And the waiter said, uh, sir, uh, the uh, meal is uh, from Mr. Brennan with his compliments, and he thanks you for joining us. And Charlie starts to say in that deep stentorian, but, well, isn't that nice and wonderful? To which the junior <laughs> senator says, oh, no, oh, no, no, bring us a bill, bring us a check. He's paying. And Charlie oh, said, no. oh, I don't think we should. She said, enough. Bring us the bill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Mr. Brennan. <laughs> but please bring us the, the check, and he's paying. And as the waiter walks away, Maria, Maria informs Charlie that I may have constituents here, and there's not a chance that a constituent is going to see me taking a free meal <laughs> in, a, in this restaurant in New Orleans. So get your card out. My guess is they didn't go out much longer after that. Uh, I forget yeah, they did yeah. for a while. I, I forget. But uh, true, uh, true, true or not true, you and John Madden almost got mugged in New Orleans one night. Uh, yeah. Um, what? What happened? Uh, <laughs> uh, John, uh, this was uh, this was Super Bowl twenty. Um, now, now, John did not attend. You know, Super Bowls, unless he was doing the game. Right. But this was at the time of Miller Lite commercials, less filling, tastes great. So he was in New Orleans as, you know, part of Miller Lite uh, Super Bowl week publicity stuff. And, you know, they had their talent there. Uh, I, I was there for, uh, I guess it was still RKO Radio, or it might have morphed into a, a, another. Um, Dick Clark Productions ended up buying that network. So, um, whatever. I, I was there to, to cover the game, um, but I was also there to record about three um, commentaries for, and to put them in the can while John uh, was going to head back home to uh, California. And this is before John had the bus. So John, this is when John got around the country you know, via Amtrak, by train. That's so right. He, he never flew. Never he's, like flew. Korn, he's like Kornheiser. Never, never flew. Um, John, I think, is not so much a fear of flying as much as, as claustrophobic. Uh, uh, okay. Being, you know, just being kind of, you know, locked in and, and not being able to get up and really move around or, or take a stroll outside if the mood struck him. But yeah. in, in any event, um, so I meet John late in the day and we, you know, record these three pieces. And John asked me, he said, do you want to get some dinner? And I said, yeah, sure, that's great. And he said, where do you want to go? And it was my first time in New Orleans. I said, John, I have never been here. I really don't have an idea where we should go. So we ended up going over to the French Quarter and started strolling down a street. And we came upon a place, the gumbo shop. And we looked in. It was packed. And John said, well, I guess this place is out. With that, the owner had looked out the window and saw John Madden and was outside the door in a flash. Coach, 
How are you? Are you hungry? Uh, yeah, but uh, you look like you're full. No, I have a table for you too. Come on in. <laughs> so, so we got, you know, we we got a table. It was a nice, nice meal. Terrific. And this was also with the bears. And if you remember, with the headbands, you know, McMahon had the headbands, and they they were all wearing these headbands. So we step outside, and there's a novelty shop right next door. And the guy who knows the the novelty shop, he's standing out on the street, like, Coach, hey, how are you? Hey, and and John had been kind of looking at the headbands. He goes, Hey, coach, here, and he gives him one. And John says, No, no, that's okay. And he said, No, take it, take it. So John takes the thanks him, and he says, No, you got to put it on. And John says, No, no, I'm not doing that. So <laughs> off we go. And John turns to me and said, uh, So should we go up on Bourbon Street? And I said, John, uh, fine with me. I walk on Bourbon Street. Nobody knows me from Adam. You walk on Bourbon Street. I'm going to guess you attract a crowd. And he said, all right, right, let's go anyway. So we go up on Bourbon Street, and we got about a half block, and, of course, we started getting yeah. mobbed. Oh, yeah. You know, and so John kind of gave me the look like, all right, let's hightail it. So we walk a couple of blocks, and we're walking towards, uh, you know, on Bourbon Street, we're walking towards Canal, which is, the, you know, the major cross street, and, that you know, the hotels and are, are along Canal or on the other side of Canal. And he hangs a right. And I'm following him, and I said, John, where are you going? And he looks around at me, had this, like, you know, impish grin on his face. And he gets about, say, halfway down the block, and he stops, and he looks around, and he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out the headband, and he puts it on. He says, how's it look? What do you think? Okay. <laughs> and, and it's one of those times, you know, like you wish technology had been uh, then uh, what it is now. Talk about, talk about a slow fear, a selfie. Yeah, that right, exactly. Or, or, just, or just a picture. Right, so I said, hey, John, okay, looks great. So he says, all right, so he takes it, all right, come on, let's go. And he starts walking, and I said, John, where are you going? We're going to the hotel. I said, no, John, the hotel is like this the other way. No, it's this way. I said, no, John, I said, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. No, no, come on, you, you've never been here. It's this way. So we walk, and we come out on this street, which I believe is Rampart, and it's the south end of the quarter. I know exactly where you are right now. I'm like, right. I'm going through the streets of NOLA with you. Right. This is, right. You, you're, 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 this is before the Harris, Harris Casino went up, by the way. Yeah. So, so the south end of the quarter, and we're, we're just like standing or getting to a corner, and this carload of young guys like, is driving by and, you know, brakes screech, Coach, let's fill it out. And you know, they're they're rolling the windows down. Hey, coach, how you doing? Wow, man, John Madden. Hey, and well, John's like, hey, how you doing? Okay. <laughs> and then one says, okay, coach, what are you, you what are you doing down here? You shouldn't be down here. What do you mean? Oh, this coach, this is not a good place to be. And John's like, whoa. Uh, well, we're trying to get to our hotel, and they said, yeah, it's back that way. <laughs> and I'm looking at Madden like I told you. Jeez. And John says, well, could you give us a ride? Well, coach, like, we're full. So they kind of said, oh, hey, good luck. <laughs> so uh, John turns to me and says, so what do we do? I said, John, did you ever see the movie Stir Crazy? And he said, huh? I said, Stir Crazy. I said, Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder. I said, there were a couple of cons, and one of the lines in the movie is Pryor just looks at Wilder and says, just walk around like, yeah, we bad, we bad, we bad. I said, so... <laughs> walk, stick our chests out and, and look bad. And we walked about a block, maybe a block and a half. And from like out of the shadows on the left came this gentleman who said, gentlemen, good evening. And I looked and said, oh, boy. Here we go. And, and he immediately there were two of his colleagues who kind of appeared from nowhere uh, from behind us. And the guy's walking closer when all of a sudden he goes, Holy shit, John Madden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how you doing? Okay. Guys, it's John Madden. So, Oh, so you guys were done for if it wasn't John Madden. So, please, please. <laughs> so, so You're John's a statistic. like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, okay. So the guy like says his uh, coach, just like the kids, coach, what are you doing down here? Oh, I was trying to go to a hotel. I think we took a wrong turn. He goes, yeah, you did. <laughs> so he said, uh, coach. It's it's your lucky night. 
He said, so you want to go straight that way? He said, and if anybody else, and I forget the, what the, guy, the name the guy used, he, said, he says, he says, you run into anybody else before you get up to, you know, like, he meant canal, you know, to like the, he said, I think he said the main drag. He said, you run into anybody else, you tell them that, you know, Bill, Bill said, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, it was wow. like you almost, you already passed the checkpoint. Wow. <laughs> and it, so that was, okay. Hey, you were in good company, though. Yes. Think of you were yes. in good company. And, and oh. as we walked away and we, we got out of earshot, John turned to me and said, oh, that was interesting. I said, interesting? <laughs> Jesus, John. I said, what did you think those guys had in mind? <laughs> Come on. So, uh, yeah. yes, uh, if, if not for, if not for uh, the celebrity of Madden, uh, but again, if not for Madden, I wouldn't have been down there. So <laughs> right. that's true. Yeah, right. He took you down that road. Uh, John Martin's my guest. As you guys have been listening and hearing some incredible stories, one of the things that um, I, I don't want to embarrass you or anything, but I think um, you can tell a great story about other people. I think it says something that the, they could tell, probably tell a great one about you too, because you've been right by their side for many years and. Um, and I'm sure there's much there, there are many more John Martin stories that people could tell because of, I don't know, your your ability to not just get along with people, but um, meet them at their level, irrespective of whether they're wealthy, poor, white, black. You, you had a way about getting along with people. And I think it's why some of the broadcasts went so smoothly, if I can be so bold. Oh, thank you, Michael. That, that's that's you know nice of you to say. I I, uh, I you know I do some workshops from time to time with uh, uh, Fordham University, where where I learned you know my trade at the, 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 the station there, WFUV, and and some other places. And um, I was I've been asked on more than one occasion, to, to, was I ever like starstruck or you know? And I said, no, really, you you, you get over that very quickly because you're working but i i did tell the story and i and i do tell this and this was i guess 2006 i want to say hmm. it's the national championship in the rose bowl texas and usc and i am standing outside uh at the door to our broadcast booth it's about an hour of change before the game and uh, the uh te abc television booth is two doors away next to us and and those uh, that talent and and some of the corporate suits are standing outside, and they're just chatting. And you know, I, I just happened to look ahead, and I said there was a commotion by the elevator. And you could see people were some, like you know starting to see get get excited, and they saw a fla camera flash or two. So here's this uh, large African American guy. I can see starting to walk towards me, and I'm looking. I said, Oh wow, Charles Oakley. I said, I'll be damned. How about that? Charles is here. I said, why are people getting excited? Oh, because Michael is right behind him. <laughs> and, there, and there's security. You know, there's security around him. So right as they get towards me, Michael, because, uh, or Charles, because, uh, you know, I, I'm a New York guy and with the Knicks. And, and Charles also lived near me in Westchester. In fact, he was out jogging one morning, and I almost knocked him over. Um well, so dri dri driving? Huh? Driving? Yeah, he he wasn't oh, wow. paying he wasn't paying attention. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah, not dri dri not driving with the basketball. No, driving my car. Right, right, and, right. And he wasn't That's paying attention. Uh, and probably you know, probably would have hurt your car more than oak. And and yeah, and, and hmm. I don't think you know it's one of those. If you Charles, if you ask Charles, who's that guy? Uh, he'd say, ah, oh, it's a radio guy. I'm you know, and right, you know, right, delusions right. that people you know always or know my name. But Charles is like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, high sign or whatever. And now here comes Michael, and he's got security around him. And Michael sees me and parts his security people and walks over to me and grabs me, chest bumps, you know, and said, how you doing, man? And I said, MJ, I said, Michael, I said, Michael, I said, Michael, I'm doing great. Boy, I said, you look like you can still play. And he says, thanks, thanks. And, of course, first thing out of his mouth, how's Dr. Jack? Oh, man. Jack, I said, Jack's good. Jack's good. He said, you tell him I was asking for him. I said, I sure will. I sure will. So off he went because the suites are on the same level as our, our broadcast stuff. So I, you know, he goes by, and I happen to turn back and see 
all the ABC television people, talent and suits, and their jaws are <laughs> wide open. <laughs> like, holy smoke. He like he came over to you and I. You're right. Uh, right. And and uh, one was, was actually Bob Davy, who was then on the telecast. Yeah. He came up to me. He said, "Jim, he said, man, you got juice." He said, "He said Michael came over to you." I said, "Yeah." I said, uh, "You know, I did a lot of games." I said, "Now," and I said to him, Bob, I said, "If you followed him down the hall and said, hey, who's that guy you just said hello to?" I said, "I doubt he'd say that's John or or whatever." I said, "But he'd probably say that's Dr. Jack's producer." Or, or he works with Dr. Jack on the radio. I said, that's how, that's how he knows me. I said, he, I highly doubt he'd, he'd remember her first name. I said, and that's fine. I said, but the fact that he did that, I said, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. And, and that's the, the one thing maybe over the years that uh, stood out to me. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think, and uh, I also, you know, is a byproduct of when I would sit down and the Michaels of the world and, uh, coaches and other players and, and general managers and owners would sit down and, and talk to Jack plainly, you know, candidly. And I was there, and they, I was never asked to leave because I think in their minds was, well, if Jack's, if, if, if you're Jack's guy, you must be okay. And, and I was very, you know, honored uh, to have that, uh, you know, on my resume, so to speak. Um, and, and it served me served me well over the years. And and you know, in terms of our broadcast, I always just uh, you know tried to make it a point to hire people who were I, I thought talented and good people. You know, I had this aversion to jerks. <laughs> so. Well, and I <laughs> and, think that makes a big difference. Uh, um, yeah, I, I I know it does. I know it does. Yeah. Um, all right, couple one more. Do, uh, any words um by the time this runs on martin luther king day um i'll be going up to new york uh, to uh, be a part of the memorial service honoring david stern i don't know if you're going to be there or not, i will i will i will be there too so oh it's good we'll get to catch up in person yeah. do you have any thoughts about david um we were um uh, as you know bruce bernstein and i and others were were fortunate enough to see David in late October at his office, he gave us 90 minutes. And if you would have told me he was going to have a brain hemorrhage and die within three weeks, I would have said, you're out of your mind. Right. Because he's, he, while he was clearly mellowed and slower, he still had his wit. He still had his health, it, sa- it seemed. In fact, I remember he was worried about his wife, Diane. She just went through a, uh, uh, a I think it was a cancer scare or something. And so we were more worried about her than certainly David, and now all of a sudden we're 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 you know we're in New York to memorialize him. Any thoughts about David before we go? Uh, you know, I, I, I pretty much a, a lot of what you you've read, and and I know what you and, and Bruce have experienced. Uh, brilliant, visionary, uh, hard ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but I, and I also know at the same time there was a, 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 a compassionate, great compassionate side to him because I know a number of people uh, in the NBA office that um, he helped direct them to um, like the, the best medical care or, or the best um, psychological care for uh, maybe some learning, learning disabled members of the family or Etc. Mm. Uh, Etc. Et et and you know, I, I had a few instances where uh, I felt the wrath of David just by oh, idle, we all did <laughs> an, an idle comment or two. Uh, and right. the first time, the first time, and and I, I just have to backtrack a bit. When we got the rights, I would get a call from NBA Broadcasting every Monday after our Sunday broadcast. Well, why did you, why was this? And this is, this isn't the kind, you weren't supposed to do that. And you should have, <laughs> and I'd say, Whoa, wait, didn't, was it bad? Well, no, but you know, I, I said, well, why are you like going crazy about this? And, and I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I said, boy, they just micromanage. I said, this is a little crazy. Uh, and, and th- th- you know, this was coming from somebody that I knew very well that I they had a long history with prior to uh, us, you know, uh, getting the NBA rights. And then I was alongside David at a NBA barbecue before I, I might have been the 96 draft in uh, New Jersey. Uh, and uh, they had a, a barbecue in Secaucus the day before. 
and I happen to be alongside David. I forget what we were talking about, but I voiced an opinion about something, and he turned on me and let me have it. And uh, and I was I was shocked, and and the NBA people who were with me, you could see them kind of shrinking away, like let me get out of here before I become you know part of this. And David right, Klein, right, 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 you're associated with associated, John Mark. associated with this, uh, you know, interloper here. Uh, and and there were again one or two other times where um, he was a little snarky, you know, a little snarky with me. But it was that day that I understood, okay, that's why everybody is so uh, on point in terms of how things are done, because that's how on point David was in terms of how things were done. And obviously what he accomplished when when he came on board, uh, where the league was to what it is now, the the state that he left it in, um, just... uh, I don't think there's ever been a, a you know professional you know commissioner, um, probably in history. I don't know if that I'm, I'm I you agree know, being, with you. being you know hyperbole you know hy- speaking hyperbole about that, but um, I mean you know there've been some great like you know Roselle with the uh, with the NFL and uh, you know Tagliabue in his own way and uh, um, I don't know baseball. I might, might be struggling a bit for. Giamatti, if he lived, might have been. Might yeah, have been. but even Rizal. I mean, as much as Rizal, Pete Rizal did for the NFL, yeah. you know, he did nothing he, close the, to David. Nothing, nothing close, close to David. David, David, David resur- helped resurrect the moribund league right. that was, you know, in the in the dark ages. And you know, we always talk about post-racial society. There is a post-racial society. We have more problems with race now probably than we ever did. But 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 David Stern recognized then that. This league was going to be about selling a, his black players to his white customer audience, and and not only did he do that, but he made everybody a lot of money, and 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 he was a big part of not just basketball acceptance, but but societal acceptance right. of people who didn't either get along or see the same uh, person, and you know to this day. Um, so many of the NBA stars are crossover. I think, you know, Billy Hunter and even I think Larry Bird said at one point, you know, they need another American born white superstar to really get this league going. Yeah, maybe. But th- these guys now, I don't, I don't, you know, Steph, LeBron, all those guys, Kevin Durant, they, they took the torch and right. they pretty much done fairly well <laughs> without without, you know, I mean, shoot the. The one guy. So, at any rate, I don't. I, don't, I think it's so little about color now that it's about basketball, and I think a lot of that had to do with David Stern. Yeah, yeah, and and you know we were we were talking about Yubi and Jack. Um, I think it probably started when when O'Brien was still commissioner, but David was definitely behind the scenes, or, or when he ascended, you know, to the commissionership, he was front and center with sending Jack and Hubie over to Europe and, and, and over to, uh, uh, I think, Africa and, and, and into Latin America to, to uh, you know, uh, stage coaching clinics, you know, in the off-season, during the summer months. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Hubie and, and uh, you know, Jack would talk a lot about that. And uh, when we would get to the NBA finals, and especially in, the, in, in recent years, as you would get the, uh, you know, international press that would show up, and or international broadcasters, and a lot of these international broadcasters had coaches as analysts, and they would flock to Jack because Dr. Jack, because they'd been at a clinic that Jack ran with Yubi or or with someone else in 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 Italy or in Yugoslavia or uh, you know Germany or wherever uh, that his travels took him. So, uh, and that can all be traced back to David. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks to the Chief, John Martin, for joining us this week. His stories are so much fun, and we really appreciate him spending time with us. We're working on getting the other Chief, Robert Parrish, for a future show. And don't bet against producer Bruce Bernstein actually pulling that one off. Thanks to Bruce and also to our editor, Ben Wolfen, for his technical wizardry. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Each Wednesday, Catch and Shoot 2.0 comes your way with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin. Every Thursday, it's a new edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. 
Each Friday, we have a fresh episode of the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. And I'm back every Monday with a new episode of the Mike Wise Show. This week, there is a memorial service for the late, great NBA commissioner, David Stern, who passed away on New Year's Day. David joined us for two shows back in November, and they're available for your listening pleasure. We also did a special appreciation show using some of David's own words. You might enjoy them. Please download our shows, rate us, review us, and most of all, enjoy. Until next week, see ya. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.